Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm recording this podcast today on a very rainy day in Nairobi, Kenya, having just completed segment two of our trip across the continent of Africa in the Grenadier. And I have so much to be grateful for. This podcast is going to go live um, just about a week before Thanksgiving in the United States. And I know that not everyone in the world celebrates Thanksgiving in the same way that Americans do, but I know that it's a day that so many in the world can can connect with, can relate to, and they have their own holidays around gratitude. But I really want to focus in this particular podcast about gratitude, the, the gratitude that I have to be in a place as special as the continent of Africa, uh, the gratitude that I have for all of you that listen to and support this podcast and the people in my life, my family, my loved ones, uh, the team back in Arizona that makes all of this possible. So I just really want to focus on gratitude today when I share all of our updates and some other information about uh, traveling in Africa and the equipment that we've been using. And a special thanks to Kuat Racks for their support of this week's podcast. Their new Ibex has landed. It's actually overlanded. This groundbreaking bed rack is effortlessly handling substantial loads both on and off the grid. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, it boasts a ballistic black powder coat made for all the nature you can throw at it. It's available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, and it's equipped with telescoping crossbars. Numerous T-channels and a versatile full and half height configuration right out of the box. This is the Ibex from Kuat. It is engineered for adventure. For more details, please visit kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this bed rack. So I just want to bring it all back to this whole idea of gratitude. And for me personally, it really does come down to after having been in this industry for over two decades and having seen so much change, so much growth and so many new companies and so many people coming into the space uh, that to be able to 20 plus years later, be able to be sitting in a vehicle as exciting as the Grenadier and crossing one of my favorite continents on the planet. Um, I just am overwhelmed by my thankfulness for the fact that this is even possible. The fact that I have my health to be able to do it. The fact that my family and loved ones have been so supportive of my journey. The fact that the, the team, the Overland International team has made all of this possible. And then most important to all of you that are listening, our listeners and our readers that, that make not only Overland Journal magazine possible, but the Overland Journal podcast possible. And it really does come down to the subscribers. We've been producing Overland Journal since 2007 was our first issue. We started the business in 2006. So we are, are well on our way towards our second decade just with the magazine. And as a gratitude to all of you that subscribe and support the magazine around what is traditionally a very consumer-focused focus day on Black Friday, we want to offer um, a big discount to those of you that are listening to the podcast. This is only for podcast listeners, those that are, that are paying attention to the podcast and listening right now. Um, we're going to put out a code here, and it's PODCAST2023. That's just all spelled out, PODCAST2023, no space when you go to overlandjournal.com and you're going to get 50% off of any subscription to Overland Journal. You're going to get also 50% off of any of our back issues from the year 2023. Uh, so that way, if you've missed a couple issues and you want to get caught back up again, um, this is the biggest discount we've ever done. And I really want to focus on that uh, for our subscribers to the magazines, those, those that have been subscribers, those that are currently subscribers, and those that listen to and subscribe to the podcast. So it'll be um, our biggest discount we've ever offered on, on the subscription to the magazine um, that we care so much about. And we're uh, an independent publication. We're veteran-owned, women-owned, we're employee-owned publication, and we focus all of our energy on, on uh, good journalism, on 
not doing any advertorial. We've never done any advertorial in Overland Journal uh, and continuing to test the products that all of you really uh, do rely on. Sometimes your life relies on our recommendations. So it's really important to us. And you can hear the rain starting right now. And I'm also so thankful to my family. I'm so thankful to, uh, to my dad. I lost my mom a few years ago and it was devastating for our entire family. It was particularly devastating to my father. They had been married for almost 54 years. Um, they were teenage sweethearts um, that met at a Christian camp up in Big Bear, California. And um, it was just a real devastating loss for our family. But I'm so thankful that I have my father in my life and that we get to spend the time together that we do. He's just recently had some medical issues that he's working through. And it makes me all the more grateful um, that I have him with me. The, the loss of my mom is beyond devastating. But the fact that I still have my dad means so much to me. And I'm so grateful for him and all of his support and my mom's support. Throughout my entire life, um, I just think it's important to remind kids that they can do what they have their heart set out to do, that they can dream big. And it's just really important to not tell them that you can't, because um, a lot of times that's our own insecurities being projected onto those kids. And, and when a kid says, hey, I want to be an astronaut, just say, that sounds amazing. How can I help? Um, and they may find out on their own that that's not something that they want to do, but you certainly don't want to discourage them, especially when they're young. So I'm so grateful for my parents for always encouraging me to like, hey, I want to drive around the world. I want to travel around the world. And my dad says, you know, it's not something that I would want to do, but tell me what I can do to help. And, and I love you and I support you. And that has made all the difference for me. And I'm also just grateful to my girlfriend, Tavia, she has recently joined me on this trip. We haven't been together all that long. And we decided to go spend a month in Africa together. And I'll share a little bit more about that in, in a few minutes about our experience. Uh, having traveled together, her passport, um, it was brand new. And the first stamp that she received in it was South Africa. So there's a lot to share around, around traveling with someone that you really care about. And then also to the Overland International team, Paula Burr, our producer who works so tirelessly to put all of these podcasts together. She's recovering from a minor surgery, and so we can all wish her the best um, and a rapid recovery because we need her. Uh, she does some amazing work around the podcast and all of the videos that you see on our YouTube channel. And then to the broader Overland International team. Uh, it's just been such a joy to work with these incredible individuals now for almost 20 years. Most of our staff is still with us from the very beginning. So just very grateful for that and grateful for, for their continued support of, of this adventure. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Africa trip. So the trip is now coming to a close. The second segment, uh, we were able to cross the equator so traveled from the southern hemisphere into the northern hemisphere in Kenya and actually able to tie up with some previous trips that I had done through Kenya and Uganda and into South Sudan uh, with a Mercedes G-Wagon Entdecker, which is a really interesting vehicle if no one's ever uh, looked one up. They were, they were built by Unicat, uh, by Stanley Illman and his friend Alex Beccaria um, to a very unique overland spec. and. In 2016, I drove through Kenya and Uganda and into South Sudan with those vehicles. So being able to kind of tie into that that original route was a it felt like a real milestone for the trip. And to be able to cross into the northern hemisphere with the Grenadier also felt like a real joy. Um, we were able to to leave Dar es Salaam and travel up the coast of Tanzania through a new national park called Sudani. Um, very hot. Rains have come early, so things got pretty spicy with the mud. Uh, and I was just so grateful that we didn't get stuck in the middle of a park filled with lion and hyena and everything else like that. Uh, um, of course, we would have figured it out, but it would have been a little bit, it would have been slightly <laughs> terrifying. But uh, it was just a beautiful part of the country. And from there, we went into what's called the Usambara Mountains. And it's not a very well-known area for overlanders. And you go into a little town called Lesotho. Um, go, uh, there's some there's some really neat places to stay. But the one place that we did stay, um, it's called the Paradise. Um, it's an eco farm, and it's 
just run by a guy that's he's an overlander too and he's making making a go of it and it's really neat place to camp super inexpensive but it's actually like a proper four-wheel drive road to get up there so it makes it kind of fun um, and then we went on a very remote route north from there uh, through one of the most incredible open markets we actually drove through this market because it was the main road uh, people swarming everywhere and it probably took us 30 minutes to get through um, about 400 500 meters of the road but it was absolutely incredible the vibrancy of it the excitement and uh, it was really fun uh, to see uh, them excited about the fact that we were we were there and, and experiencing a, a, a really cool market and then uh, we continued through there and uh, headed north and this this route gets really remote and uh, you need to have plenty of fuel and you need to kind of have your wits about you because when the rain comes in it can get really challenging and there's some really steep switchbacks and some heavily eroded areas and they get in what's called black cotton soil on the northern slope as well so that can be very very challenging in the mud uh, but we made it through and then continued on from there I really, I really wanted to be able to go and drive a route that's always been on my bucket list to go around the northern slopes of Kilimanjaro. And I think it's a great overland route. It takes a couple days. It's something you could start in Dar es Salaam with a rented vehicle and, and do a big loop. Uh, but it's just very beautiful, and it's and it's really it's really powerful to be on the foothills, on the slopes of the largest mountain, the tallest mountain in, in the continent of Africa at over 19,000 feet. It's one of the seven summits and it looms large in the background. And I, we were driving along and through the, the, the clouds, uh, Tavia says, look, you can see the summit. And we hadn't been able to see the summit up to that point. And I was able to pull the Grenadier over and, and, and get that classic photograph with the mountain in the background. Uh, still some glacier up there on the top, but they're melting rapidly. But it is just a beautiful route. We continued on from there towards a mountain called Meru, Mount Meru. And um, Mount Meru is, it's one of the most beautiful mountains in Africa. It is this classic peak. And there is Arusha National Park, which we decided not to go into the park because there is an overland route that goes right along the border of the park and it is also very remote uh, low range at times got a lot more technical uh, and we didn't see another overland vehicle the entire time in fact we didn't see anything other than motorcycles and locals and there was a couple uh, of the national park rangers that were moving around the northern part of the park uh, so it was a very, very interesting area. It's, it's part of the Maasai lands, so you get to engage with the Maasai people. And uh, it's also very arid. It's kind of in a rain shadow from the mountains, and it makes it a very unique place to visit. And then from there, we finally got to go into Ngorongoro, uh, which is, it's basically like Disneyland of the of the safari parks in the world. Uh, they've got the Big Five. It is packed with wildlife and they really are in this little ecosystem down in this massive crater and you have to pay a, a separate fee to travel with your vehicle down into the crater but it is very very cool to experience and within minutes we were face to face with lions and then saw rhino and and massive herds of zebra and wildebeest and hippo all of it so it was just an incredible thing and and it was actually the one of the first times that i had been able to just remove these safari windows and the rain's really coming down now okay the uh the rain slowed down a little bit uh, so we're going to try to keep recording here but in Ngorongoro was one of the first times that I was actually to take able to take kind of full use of these safari windows because they remove completely. I'm not going to demonstrate right now because of the rain, but uh, they remove completely from from the roof, and then you can stow them in the back of the vehicle. And what that allows for you to do then is you can stand on the seats and actually put your whole body up through the window and really get that chance to observe the animals from an elevated position, 
you're not allowed to get out of the vehicle in the national parks. So it, it's kind of like in a safari vehicle where you can where you can be um, at an elevated position and and really see the animals. And I, I, I really loved it. It was fun to, to drive around and just be standing on the seat and taking a million photographs of all of all of the animals. But Ngorongoro is just really special and I highly recommend it. And then from Ngorongoro, it was time to get into the Serengeti and the road between Ngorongoro Crater and um, the Serengeti National Park is one of the most rough roads that I've encountered in my travels. It would be on par with some of the worst corrugations that you would see in Australia, but it's fairly rare in Australia to encounter that degree also of embedded rock at the same time. You can get really bad corrugations in Australia, but it's rare to have really bad, really deep corrugations and embedded rock interspersed throughout the route. And it's also, I think, a real a real challenge in Africa because so much of the traffic is done with the same vehicle being a 70 series safari vehicle. So it is, it's literally the same frequency of suspension that's going over and really causing very, very deep corrugations. If, even if there was some bigger variety of vehicles that were traveling it, it would start to help uh, with some of that frequency that's created from the suspension to cause those corrugations. But talk about putting the Grenadier to the test. I mean, we, we've done thousands of kilometers now of corrugations throughout the trip in Africa, but uh, that was hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of some of the worst corrugations I've encountered uh, in my travels. And the vehicle fortunately didn't have any failures. So if anything was to come loose um, on a new vehicle, it was gonna be on that road and nothing did. So I'm really grateful for that. And then the Serengeti was incredible. And there's a way, this is another little travel tip, but there's a way to book a, a campsite. Uh, they're called special campsites um, within the Serengeti, and you actually get to book them entirely for yourself. There's nothing there. There's no bathrooms. There's no fences. Uh, a lot of times they're booked in advance by uh, tour operators, but since we were there in the shoulder season, um, there was nobody there really in the park or very few people in the park and we were able to get one of those special campsites and it was amazing to just roll in under a, an acacia tree and you look around and all you hear is the hyena and you see I mean we went through like a, a whole a whole herd of, of wildebeest just to get to the campsite and so the whole night we heard hyena and any variety of, of animal that our imagination could could muster. Um, and of course, that early morning pee is always exciting. Uh, when it's dark out, you literally don't know what's just beyond the scope of the flashlight. So uh, that was a very special experience, and I'd highly recommend that. And it's not terribly expensive to camp in the park that way. It's about $60 a night. So that was really neat to, to experience. Uh, and then from then, uh, we got to finally see Lake Victoria. I'd never been there before. And then continue north through Tanzania to the border of Kenya, where we crossed into Kenya, uh, and then really just took our time. We slowed the pace of the trip down since we had reached that milestone and worked our way up to a place called Nanyuki, which is famous for being on uh, the equator and an incredible view of Mount Kenya. We took a couple days to kind of uh, refresh and download content and uh, catch up on some emails. Uh, but then we were able to, to hook up with another Grenadier owner, Abid, who is here in, in uh, Kenya, in Nairobi. And Abid is an, one of the first, in fact, he is the very first owner of a Grenadier in Africa. And one of the earliest Grenadier owners outside of Europe. And he's passionate about the brand. And he has a, a similar spec Grenadier to this one. And he's got it lightly modified with some front runner gear and some larger mud terrain tires on some Rhino wheels. And it was fun to kind of have like the first 
meeting or the first club meeting of the uh, Africa Grenadier Owners Society, uh, which was a total of two. But uh, it was really fun to travel with another Grenadier. It was super fun to travel with Abid. Uh, amazing guy and really knowledgeable about his country and passionate about the vehicle. And we went to a very remote route up Mount Kenya uh, to a place called Lake Ellis. And we tried to get there from a very obscure gate that has been closed for about three years and we were able to get special permission to go in there, but there was just too many downed trees. And uh, it took us hours just to go a few kilometers and then we decided to turn around and then head in from another direction. And just as the sun was setting, we arrived at over 11,000 feet, 3,000, almost 300 meters, and able to camp up at elevation right on the on the side of Mount Kenya. Uh, beautiful high mountain lake. It's a natural lake. It's a hanging valley, um, and it's just a beautiful spot and another really neat place to have a campsite. Uh, and then from there, moved down to Nairobi where I'm scheduling the vehicle for some service, and I'm organizing my equipment, and I'm getting ready for the last segment of Africa, which will be to continue, most likely, to continue north into Ethiopia, and then if Sudan opens, Sudan and Egypt, and if it does not, then I will head into Djibouti, which will get me north of the Horn of Africa, uh, and I'll complete the crossing in Djibouti. Um, otherwise, hopefully, fingers crossed, things get better over the next few months in Sudan, and I'm able to continue through Sudan and into Egypt. Not likely, but certainly hopeful. Given that it's Thanksgiving, I'm going to be um, show a lot of gratitude for the possibility that might st still be a thing. Let's talk about the the things that I've learned uh, on the trip around around some of the equipment that I've used. And I thought it would be helpful to talk a little bit about communications because I know that that's something that people are always very mindful of. of um, because w one of the understandable anxieties of travel is what happens if there's an emergency or what happens if I need help or what happens if I just need uh, a tow or some fuel or spare parts or whatever. And there's a lot of different solutions for that. Uh, and I have many solutions in the vehicle. Um, normally when I travel solo, I don't carry quite as many things, but I have precious cargo uh, with having Tavia with me. So I really wanted to make sure that I had multiple means of communication. And I also wanted to try out some new tools, uh, including the Starlink with the unique componentry conversion that flat mounts to the roof. Um, and then I also wanted to try out the new Iridium Go Executive. Um, but then I always have with me uh, Garmin InReach, Many of you know what that is, and you use them. This is about as compact and discreet of a satellite communicator as you could possibly have. And it actually works as also a battery backup for your phone. So you can actually charge your phone from this through its USB-C port. It allows for two-way power transfer. Uh, so it's really easy to kind of throw it in your bag and have it with you. Um, I do like to actively track with a Garmin inReach, so I just leave it running all the time in tracking mode. Um, I'm not doing that now because I'm, I'm in the city, but anytime that I'm moving, and the reason for that is I have people, like family and, and some of my team, team members that are, are monitoring our progress, and that way if we were to have, if the vehicle was to, let's say, catch on fire and we had limited time to get out or we got, the vehicle got swept away in... Um, you know, rising waters or any number of things that can happen. Those are the most likely scenarios. But then there's, of course, things that cross the mind, like the vehicle getting stolen or whatever, banditry, which really doesn't happen, but um, certainly not very often. But it, there's a way that the vehicle can always be tracked. And our last known location, um, even if th that device was to get burned in a fire, uh, somebody would know where we last were um, when that when that uh, track point was sent. So I leave the inReach running all the time. It's also a great way to stay in touch with family and friends when you're outside of cell coverage. Uh, my primary method of communication is, of course, just a, a standard iPhone. And, and that's just because the, the, the camera's great. And I use it as a backup camera. It's, you kind of get those impromptu photographs when you don't have another camera with you. Uh, and I use I use a small rig case with it uh, because it's got quarter twenty 
holes in the side of it that you can use to mount to a tripod. I can mount it to like what the camera's mounted to on the windscreen of the vehicle. Uh, just provides other methods of, of do documenting um, you know, the experience. Locally around the vehicle, simplex style communications uh, we use these Rocky Talkies. They've got a new five watt unit. And during the trip with Abid, we, he had one of the, the lower wattage output units and then I had the new five watt. And he was really impressed with how strong the signal came through, even uh, through some of, the, some of the more heavy foliaged areas and a lot of change in, in elevation. So uh, really good communications from those. Uh, but any GMRS um, is a good solution. Midland makes good radios too. I just like the fact that the, that the Rocky Talkies are charged with USB-C and they're super durable. Uh, the screen is also behind a protective cover. So when it, when it starts up, you can see this screen is just behind a super durable cover. <clears throat> so scratches, drops, dings. It's a really, really durable unit. And then for for doing work, for uploading content, um, and then the ability to even, um, you know, run a service book on the vehicle or to do a backup of, of video and photos and really to be able to do, you know, uh, voice meetings with my team or to do um, video calls with my family. Uh, we did bring the Starlink around um, along with us with that unique componentry flat conversion, converts it to 12 volts. So it cuts the amperage draw about in half. So I'm seeing around two amp hour draw. So similar to a fridge um, out of the Starlink and the Starlink works incredible. I have it on the global mobile plan, which gives me about 10 megabits a second of data rate. And I didn't see quite that fast, but saw very close to it. Um, in fact, this whole episode will be uploaded on Starlink because Starlink is faster than the internet at the place that I'm staying here in Nairobi. And I've used it for the last couple podcasts to upload the content. It works It works so well. I was even able to live stream uh, with Brian on the last podcast using the Starlink. So really effective tool. I just plug it into a Dometic uh, power power supply, small battery pack, and, and it works great. Even going down the road, it works in motion. And then there's a lot of questions around, um, can you bring a Starlink with you um, to other countries? Uh, and that's a really easy thing to answer. If you go to starlink.com, um, and you look at their availability map, it'll show you all of the countries where um, Starlink is currently available or when it will be available in those countries. If there's any questions, then you can actually look up the regulations for those particular countries that you're traveling through. Uh, currently, there's no restriction on using Starlink in South Africa. Uh, Starlink is currently available and can be purchased in Mozambique. It can be used. It's approved for all uses, including by the citizen, citizenry in Malawi, in Zambia, and in Kenya, where I'm at currently. In Tanzania, there's no restriction on the importing of a Starlink, and um, that's going to be available for Tanzanians to purchase and use um, within weeks. I mean, it's it is the final decisions are pending. Um, but at the latest, it would be in the first quarter or so of next year. So it's cur you're currently able to use Starlink without restrictions. It's not illegal. It's able, you're able to cross borders with it. Um, in the entire route that we've done in sub-Saharan Africa on the eastern side, anywhere else you need to really make sure you know what the regulations are around satellite communications. Like, for example, in the continent of Africa, um, it is very restricted in Nigeria, in Chad, and in Sudan. So you would have to have approval ahead of time in order to use a Starlink or any other satellite communicator in those countries. And most of the time, they're not going to give you approval. And there is really good documentation of, of um, 
units being inspected in Sudan um, and really never coming out of inspection. So even if you have approval, it doesn't necessarily mean that you get to travel with it. So you just don't bring it into those countries. Um, you can ship it back or take it back in an airplane or give it to someone to hold for you until you, until you come back through the airport. And that applies to this, the same way to any other satellite communicator. So you just need to know the regulations of the countries that you're traveling in. Um, but the easiest one, obviously, to travel with is a Garmin inReach uh, because it's it's also um, the least nefarious looking uh, to the officials when they're inspecting your equipment. And it's also common to have all of your bags x-rayed when you go through a border. So just be aware that um, anything that you've got with you can be x-rayed. Uh, and, and found out by the government. And as another test, because I'm just, I'm really interested in a lot of this new technology that's available for communication, um, is the new Iridium Go Executive. Um, this is a really small satellite communicator. It works in 100% of the globe. So it works at both poles. It works, I mean, it, it's the type of communicator that we use when we cross Greenland. Uh, we use the Iridium Go, not the new exec model. And, but it's very, very compact. When you think of it compared to a Starlink, this thing is very, very small. And it's also more durable. It's more weather resistant, dust resistant. It has a higher specification for those very rugged environments you can a Starlink antenna you can absolutely leave out in the rain and in the weather, uh, but think of those of us that are traveling by motorcycle, having this Iridium go with us in a pannier is just an easy thing, whereas the Starlink is much larger and it requires a lot more power and it doesn't have its own battery power. So this this will run for hours um, of communication and it runs at 88 kilobits per second. So that is much slower than a Starlink, but it's fast enough to be able to do most forms of communication. Email, um, you can do even light web browsing if you're trying to find out information. Um, you can also do two lines of phone calls. So whoever's paired with it on their smartphone, you can actually have two phone calls going at the same time. Um, you can even get that Instagram update uploaded and it's available with unlimited plans for around $200 a month. The unit itself costs about 1500 bucks. This is a pretty hardcore tool for communication and it's something that I plan uh, to have along with me for as many of my tra travels as it's allowed uh, because it's it's a great backup. And that covers the communication that we've used on the trip. And a special thanks to O3 Outdoors for their support of this week's podcast. The world is messy. That's the price every outdoorsman pays for adventure. So when we need to keep things fresh, well, we at O3 Outdoors don't just do things halfway. We turn to the same technology NASA uses to clean the space station, and we bring it down to our own frontier. You know the smells the sweat, smoke, and fuel, the smells of a proper adventure, the stuff of a true outdoorsman knows firsthand. Our technology here at O3 Outdoors eliminates bacteria and odors on gear or in your homes and on your vehicles. Our Trekker bags allow you to pack, store, and carry your gear, cleaning it the entire time. Our portable Overlander units fit in any vehicle, home, or RV. It's the highest tech brought to you to the outdoor experience, keeping your gear fresh from one frontier to another. For more information, visit o-3outdoors.com. O3 Outdoors, go explore. Uh, some of the other things that I found really interesting that I've learned a lot more about is, one of them is the fridge. So. A fridge is so nice to have along in it. I actually considered not bringing a fridge at all through Africa, but I'm so so glad I did because having a cold drink at the end of the day can be just such a, a joyful luxury. 
But what I did decide to do is go with the smallest fridge that I could find in South Africa, which is a Dometic 25 liter. Uh, because I've really come to the realization that fridges are the perfect example of Parkinson's law, which is that you're going to fill whatever it is to the available space. Um, it was originally a law around governments and bureaucracies, but it also applies to everything from motorcycle panniers to fridges to the inside of your vehicle, uh, to your messenger bag, to your carry-on luggage, all of that. You're going to just fill up uh, the available space. So surprisingly, with two people, uh, the 25 liter was more than enough for us to have all the cold food, um, meat, veggies. Uh, I have a lot of chocolate in there, uh, milk, stuff for making coffee, creamer. Um, we were able to have fruit inside there, plenty of space. And one of the keys to that is to actually feed items into the fridge. So you try to buy sh shelf-stable milk that then you feed into the fridge um, when you need to, when you're planning to open and use it, or when you want it cold, uh, the same thing applies to shelf-stable juices and sodas and 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 those kind of water. For example, you have just a small water container that you use um, to carry with you, but then you don't carry a ton of water inside the fridge, and that results in a much lighter fridge overall, and then a significantly lighter fridge when it's full. Uh, one of the things that people don't realize is a, a 70 or an 80 liter fridge um, is heavy to begin with, but once you fill it full of food, it can be well over 100 pounds. So by putting that kind of uh, self-constrained space in place, I think makes a lot of difference. So I was really glad to have the 25 liter. And when we sleep in the back, I just remove the fridge and a couple other items go into the front seats. And then that flat load floor has just been awesome. I, I hope that Front Runner comes out with some products around this design that they came up with. Um, I, I told him what I wanted to achieve and Rob, one of their engineers, just went to town and he came up with a better solution than I would have ever thought of. But it can you can use all five seats in the vehicle. When the back seats fold down, the deck is high enough that when the load platform flips forward, it rests on the top of the back seats. And I have a full length sleeping surface. When I was traveling with Joe, he's six foot seven and was able to sleep inside the Grenadier. You just push the seats forward, stuff some soft bags and, and personal effects down into the empty space. And then it's a very comfortable uh, sleeping surface. And it was funny because I was trying to get another Melville and Moon sleeping pad and I wasn't able to get it in time. So I actually just bought a mattress off the side of the road. In fact, it was a, within the first couple of days of traveling with Tavia. And here I pull down this little side street in this open air market and I hop hop out to go to go buy us a, a mattress that we could fit in the back and it ended up being very comfortable. And now that I'm in Nairobi and that part of the trip is finished, I was able to donate it uh, to someone in the area that can use it. For their family. So it, it worked out really well. Uh, it's very easy to find the things that you need as long as it's not something super obscure. So I really love this load platform. I also love the fact that it doesn't use regular drawers. It uses just a standard front runner box uh, that, that they sell and it fits four of them under the platform. And what I like about that is when I'm storing the vehicle, I can remove it all when I'm in an accommodation and I want to have my cooking supplies or I want to have the food that I keep in the dry box, I can put that in there. If the vehicle was to get stuck or I need to remove weight from it, uh, it's very easy just to remove those boxes. Uh, there's a great story of a couple that was in the Sahara in their Defender and they got stuck down in what's called a witch's eye. It's a very difficult bowl configuration. Um, to get out of in a vehicle, especially in a heavy, uh, lightly powered vehicle like a Defender, diesel Defender. And they, they actually removed everything. They removed all of the doors. They removed all of the contents of the vehicle. They removed everything but the driver's seat. And they were finally able to get it light enough that they were able to get out of the sand dune. So it's good to be able to remove these items from the vehicle. Uh, you just never know when you want to be able to do that. And I really like that configuration. I find that it works 
out really well to be able to remove those boxes. So I like I like that load deck, and I'm hoping that that front runner comes out with a product like that because it's so lightweight. The frame itself is only eight kilograms. There's a little bit of weight, obviously, in the deck itself, but um, and it's carpeted, so it's really comfortable and lightweight, simple to execute. So it's a product that I've really enjoyed on this on this trip. For this last segment, I also brought a Red Arc solar panel. So it's a 160 watt unit. I wanted to be able to have solar power on the trip uh, because I found that was a limitation on the last leg uh, between the auxiliary battery and the main battery. If I was camped for a couple days between uh, communications, battery charging of cameras and uh, the fridge, I was already tight on power and I knew with the two amp hour draw of the Starlink that I would be exceeding my available uh, system without overtaxing the starting battery of the, of the Grenadier. So I brought along this 160 watt solar panel. It uses Anderson connections. It has a 20 amp solar charge controller and I would just alligator clip it to the, the jumping post underneath uh, the, uh, the bonnet of the Grenadier, underneath the hood of the Grenadier. And that would keep the main battery charged. And then there's actually a very clever solution in the Grenadier where you can turn on this power button up here. And that actually, powers all of the auxiliary sockets in the vehicle. So it turns on all the 12 volt sockets, all the USB sockets, allows you to keep the lights on. Um, and what that would do then is when I'm charging the main battery off of the solar, then that would open up one of the 12 volts that would then charge my auxiliary battery. And it was just a very, very simple solution uh, that I found to be 100% reliable. And it's also because the charge controller um, is not set up for lithium. So by charging the main battery and then having the main vehicle battery then charge the lithium through the charge controller of the battery pack, um, it worked out really well. And it's been super simple, not a lot of complexity and 100% reliable. The solar blanket that I use from Red Arc is just big enough where it covers the windscreen of the Grenadier. And the Grenadier actually has this very unique kind of scoop where the, where the windshield wipers are and the, and the solar blanket just fits perfectly down into that scoop and rests up against the windshield. So it puts a little bit of, bit of an angle and I just position the vehicle facing the sun and I have gotten plenty of power because you're getting 160 watts. So, you know, I would see six, seven, eight amps coming into the battery, uh, no problem um, out of that panel um, when the conditions were right. And then let's talk a little bit about the Grenadier. I'm getting a lot of questions around how the Grenadier is doing. Um, I've got a lot of information out there around my impressions of driving it, like technical side of, of driving it an off-road, et cetera. But the most important thing is, is to date, we have had zero failures out of the vehicle. I've just approaching 20,000 kilometers in the Grenadier, and I have been driving it for long periods of time on heavily corrugated roads, a lot more technical terrain than they're typically used for. And we're not overly loaded. We're at running at about 85% of gross vehicle weight. Uh, there are times that I'm a little bit heavier when I'm full up on fuel. But the vehicle, uh, I've kept under gross vehicle weight because that's an important thing for me to try to do and to recommend others to do. Um, but other than that, the vehicle has had just no issues at all. Every once in a while, I'll get a tire pressure monitoring system light come on. Like, for example, up at Lake Ellis at 11,000 feet, um, it's cooler and the atmospheric pressure is different. So when I started the vehicle up, it, sh it threw the... Uh, the tire pressure monitoring light on, but they've got a really clever solution in in the in the in the panel display. Is you can go into vehicle settings, vehicle information, and you go into tire pressure, and then you can actually reset the cold pressure of the system so it then recalibrates it to a new threshold. It doesn't allow you to go much lower than thirty. PSI or so, but it allows you to go also much higher uh, because some of the some of the tire pressures at full gross vehicle weight, or if you're towing or really heavily 
biased weight in the rear, you can get much higher pressures in the rear tires. And that allows you to then reset the cold tire pressures uh, based upon those new loads. So it's actually fairly clever. And then that shuts off the tire pressure monitoring system lights. Um, but again, nothing else. It's started every single time um, that we've turned the key and we've not had any any failures out of the vehicle. Nothing, no hard failures, no hardware failures, um, no software failures that have kept, kept us um, any trouble, no check engine lights have come on. So really, really grateful that the vehicle has performed so well, especially given that it's such an early production unit. Um, this is in the 370 range on production. So very, very early production vehicle and so far no issues. I know that they have some software updates coming out um, and some other things that they're working on, which will just make it better. Um, but we promise to let you know if there's any any issues that do come up, um, so that way we can be aware of that. And around the Grenadier too, also some exciting news. I know that within the next few weeks, they're going to be um, doing customer deliveries in North America, which is so exciting. Um, I cannot wait to hear the stories and the photos uh, from the first customers that are going to get, uh, get that vehicle, kind of get a sense for the joy that I've had with it uh, for the past few months. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's important to note, uh, we're not being compensated by Ineos in any way. I'm paying all of my own expenses. Um, they're, they're not uh, paying me a salary and we're not receiving any advertising from Ineos. Uh, we were just loaned a vehicle for this particular trip and then we'll be giving it back at the other end of it. Um, so, and we have no restriction on sharing our information that we've learned about the vehicle with you. Uh, so it's a really important vehicle, we believe, coming into the market, which is why we were so excited to use it on this trip. It's the first time in my memory that a car company was started specifically for vehicle-based travelers and that the models that they produce are made specifically for the things that, that you and I do. So we're really excited about the Grenadier. We think it's a really important new model in the space. We think that um, a lot of people are going to like it. So that's why it was so important for us to test it thoroughly in the way like 20,000 kilometers across Africa. And I think one of the last things that I want to talk about is uh, traveling uh, with, with a partner. Uh, I was traveling with my girlfriend, Tavia. Uh, we've not been together all that long um, and she had not traveled internationally before. In fact, she had just gotten her passport um, a few months ago and the first passport stamp that she received was when we arrived in South Africa. And it was just absolutely incredible how well she did on the trip. And I think it's an important reminder that I, I've traveled with people with lots of international travel experience that did that struggled way more than Tavia did. Uh, and she had never traveled internationally before. So it's important to not... Uh, put any expectations on either a seasoned or a new traveler until you get a chance to really uh, get out on the road with them. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that she's an RN, so she deals with a lot of stressful environments. Uh, she runs a, a group home for medically fragile children, so she deals with very extreme situations, far more extreme than I deal with in my day-to-day -day life. Um, life-threatening situations where her ability to stay calm and to make decisions quickly. So she just fit right into it. And um, I don't talk a lot about my personal life on the podcast, but um, it was just such a joy for me to travel with her and for us to get along so well. We've The whole time we've been together, we've never had an argument and the arguments didn't start traveling through Africa and some really new and unique situations for her. Uh, so I think the keys that I learned in that process was to make sure that you're always communicating, checking in on each other, uh, seeing how everybody's doing. Um, one of the things that, that we do is actively track our sleep uh, because I know that when I get low on sleep after a couple of days, it really does start to affect um, how I feel. Uh, I, I don't ever... I'm never not happy, but um, it starts to affect how I feel. So I think being able to keep an eye on how each other is doing with their sleep is really important. We also paid really close attention to nutrition. 
uh, Tavia has some things that she doesn't like to eat. And we just made sure that to communicate that with the places that we were going to stay ahead of time um, and then go out of our way to find fresh food, good food at uh, local groceries that we could prepare ourselves. Um, and I think being well-fed and well-rested, well-hydrated uh, makes such a good difference um, in how people feel. And then also because you're traveling with your partner, just making sure that you're always checking in on each other, seeing how the other person's doing, um, reinforcing your gratitude that they're with you, um, asking them what they're enjoying about their day or what they felt was a challenge in their day. So that way, as travel partners, we can be more mindful of how the person's doing and find ways to to improve the situations for them. Uh, and for those of you who are listening, if you found things that work for you and your partner, I'd love to hear about it. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give my Instagram handle at the end of the podcast so you can reach out. Um, but I'd really like to know other things that you guys have done to be able to travel well together. Um, I also was able to kind of do on the job training, driver training, and she ended up just being an amazing driver and adapted very quickly to um, the dynamic driving environment that is Africa. And it was so it was a total joy for me uh, to travel someone with someone that I care so much about and for us to do that so well together um, certainly makes it exciting to consider what the next stage of the relationship could be. So another thing that I'm grateful for on this Thanksgiving day. And the, I think the last thing for me overall is to thank you again as listeners. It, it's such a joy to do this podcast. Um, it is, it's a very intense time of year for us as a business and for me traveling. Uh, it's also been um, difficult for Matt to get on the podcast as much recently, Paula having that minor surgery as well. So um, there are things that are making it more challenging for us to do the podcast over this few week period. Um, but I decided that I was going to mount the camera to the windshield of the Grenadier and sit here and have a conversation um, I know that this is a little bit different format than we normally have, so I apologize if it didn't meet your expectations, but I'd love to get your feedback on the ways that I could improve it. Um, but I really wanted to share the things that I learned on the trip so far, the things that are working well on the trip. And also just to, to thank all of you for your support and for listening. And remember, we've got that 50% off of the Overland Journal subscription going on right now. Again, that's podcast 2023 um, when you go into the overlandjournal.com store. So to reach me on Instagram, you can find me at scott.a.brady and please reach out. Send me a, a DM. If you're getting a Grenadier and you're excited about it, if you have questions about the trip, if you've learned skills and tools to help you travel better with your partner. I'd love to talk to you about that because that's something we'd like to expand on in the podcast. Um, if you got any other feedback for us, if there's something that you're particularly grateful for um, about the industry or about a trip that you've been on or an experience that you've had, please share that because we'd love to, uh, with your permission, put that out to the audience as well. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and for those of you who are not celebrating Thanksgiving, have a wonderful day of gratitude regardless, and we will talk to you all next time.